0: So last week, I mentioned a time, a very a very poignant time in my life when I was at Philmont Scout Ranch. Has anyone here ever been to Philmont other than myself? No. Okay. Well, I've maybe. Yes? As a scout? Nice. Did you climb Baldy Mountain? I thought I was going to die there. I did. I thought... It's not going to—a lot shorter distance between me and heaven. Uh, But I I had the privilege of going to Philmont on two occasions and had a very uh, meaningful event uh, that I mentioned last week and, and others. And it, it kind of inspired this week's message, uh, as it were. And, and today, you know, we're always re- getting new family members, new friends, and not everyone knows everything that those of you that have been uh, alongside of me for nearly 19 years now uh, knows. And so I just want everyone to know I, I'm an Eagle Scout. Yeah. 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 That handsome cat in the middle. Yeah, that's me. Um, now as a teenager, there weren't many things that I did of redeeming value and scouting is probably, no, it is the paramount. Um, and I'd be lying if I said I did it for all the right reasons. I did it for a lot of reasons. My friends was an important part of that reason. And I didn't know what scouting was producing into my life until I became a, an, an adult, and uh, I am an Eagle Scout I also have one palm uh, which means that I earned merit badges above and beyond the requirements of Eagle Scout you can earn up to three palms I earned one and scouting was one of the greatest experiences of my life the friendships that I made the lessons that I learned the opportunities that it afforded me like Philmont and um, there are parts of my scouting experience that that literally touch every day of my life. And so in thinking about that, it kind of inspired me a little bit for this week's message, knowing that I was gonna be away from you guys for a little while. And uh, so let's get on with it, shall we? So today's message is entitled, Be Prepared. That is the Boy Scout motto, Be Prepared. And uh, that is a a far-reaching It's good, isn't it? It's good. No? Oh, okay. It's all right. Not everybody can be Eagle Scouts. It's fine. But be prepared is the Boy Scout marching song, as my dad likes to sing. But be prepared. And today we're going to uh, take a little hike through Luke, the 12th chapter. Now, let me say this uh, from the up front. Is time... Will not allow me to spend time with everything in depth. And so, part of your challenge today is this to go back and to read this chapter. I'm going to take you to the five peaks of preparedness that Jesus mentions in this passage. Uh, so, we're going to hustle through this so you got some homework. So one of the things that's important for us to understand is in the 12th chapter, Christ has a very large audience, and this audience is made up of differing people. there for differing reasons. It's made up of believers, those who believe in Jesus and are following him because of their faith. There are seekers in the room. Now, I know that word gets a lot of bad rap, but a seeker is anyone who has not yet accepted Christ as their Savior, but they're seeking wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of biblical truth. And today, we may have seekers in this room. You may not have received Christ as your Savior, but you're seeking information, and that's a good place to be. And then there's wanters. Wanters are those who only talk to God when they need a favor. Wanters are the ones that only call out the Lord's name when they need something or they want something. The world is made up of wanters. And then also in this crowd, there's haters. There's those that are willfully, knowingly, and intentionally anti-Jesus. So this crowd is made up of a plethora. There you go. There you go. Use that word. A plethora of individuals. And we're going to look at them as it applies to us today. Peak number one is beware of hypocrisy, verses 1 through 12. Now, I'm not going li- to read every—I'm not going to read the entire chapter. There's going to be segments, so that's why you've got to go back and read the entirety. Meanwhile, when the crowd of many thousands had gathered, many thousands had gathered, Jesus knew how to draw a crowd, and he also knew this. When you have the intention of someone, use it to your benefit, So they they were trampling on one another. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden or will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roof's. So what we see here is Jesus speaking to this crowd that's made up of a a large number of different individuals says this. He warns them against the yeast of the Pharisees. Now in the scriptures yeast is used to represent sin or evil. And so he tells them, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. He's saying, the sin of who? The religious leaders, the righteous, those you're supposed to be following, those who are supposed to be the example. He says, be careful about their yeast, about their sin. It begins with a small amount. Now, I don't bake a lot. I can bake. I don't bake a lot. But what I do know is this, is that it only takes a little bit of yeast to make the bread swell up, to, to rise is the official term. And what Jesus knows and what we know is this is that a little bit of yeast goes a long, long, say long with me, long way. It goes a long way. It starts out as a pinch, but it ends up as a loaf. Ladies and gentlemen, let me reiterate this time old truth sin will take you further. It will keep you longer, and it will cost you more than you ever intend to pay. Write it down, print it on a shirt, memorize it, but don't you dare deny it, because it's true. And Jesus warns the crowd, those who have already uh, become polluted with the yeast, those who are maybe somewhere near it, and those who might be, holding that little yeast packet, shaking it, and going, I think I might like well, to play with this a little bit. Don't play with sin. Sin's like scorpions. Sin's like snakes. And when you get bit by the snake or you get stung by the scorpion, you say, why did you do that? That's the nature of them. And the nature of sin is this. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Let me tell you this. A little sin can corrupt an entire life. It can even corrupt... Other things too. Jesus warns his crowd, "Don't give in to this temptation." And what's the temptation? Hypocrisy. Oh, we know that word, don't we? The world loves to call Christians hypocrites because, guess what? Sometimes we are. So am I. Sometimes unintentionally, unwantingly, but sometimes, hypocrisy comes from the Greek for uh, is a Greek word that means an actor or one who plays a part. <clears throat> This isn't a role reserved just for Christians. When we think of hypocrite, oftentimes we think of unbelievers talking about Christians. But I would recommend to you this, that unsaved individuals can play the game as well. There's a lot of people in the world who hypocritically claim to be people of faith. Oh, they may talk like it, they may dress like it, and every now and then they may do things that look like it, but underneath, the fruit just doesn't evidence the root. Sometimes they can be misinformed. That's the right desire with the wrong information. Good intentions with bad information doesn't, doesn't go well. Listen, guys, how many, how many times have we had to do it over? Because we had the right intentions, we just didn't use the information. Silence. Silence in the room because we all know men we we don't need instructions I got this or a misunderstanding which means the right desire but the wrong process I want to do the the right thing but I don't understand the process by which to do it and then it goes on there are others and I think this is a smaller part than the others but there are some people who just want to do evil they They just just want to do it. I've told you before, I'm not bragging, I'm just confessing that I was a practicing sinner before I met Jesus. I was willfully, knowledgeably, and intentionally a sinner. And Jesus warns those who may practice this, everything that is done in the dark will be brought into the light. We may not feel that way in our world because sometimes it seems like people just get away with things. But ladies and gentlemen, let me under, let me remind you of this: that sin is always held into account, and hypocrisy will always be dragged out of the dark and into the light. And there may be a judgment today. We see people do things. And live such ways. And we say, is there no accountability for them? In this life, it may seem that way. But as the great preacher R.G. Lee said, there's a payday someday. Amen? Oh, man. There's a payday someday. Amen? And it's also a great candy bar. (laughs) Let me say this. You would rather have your payday here in the eyes of men than to wait for the payday that lies ahead of us. The judgment of men and the judgment of God, I would rather get it right now than what lies ahead of me. Number two, beware of covetousness. That's a long word right there, covetousness. Let's look at Luke uh, 13 through 15. Someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you two? And then he said to them, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of abundance of possessions. Mark Twain says this, Civilization is the limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. That, my friends, is T-shirt-worthy. How many things in your life can you go? Now, why is it die of this? But when you wanted it, when you needed it, oh, we were unstoppable. Civilization is, the, is a limitless multiplication of unnecessary Necessities. What we see here is covenantness as an eagerness or an excessive desire, especially for wealth or possessions. These brothers, in speaking to Jesus regarding this matter, were legally correct. You could seek the counsel and the guidance and the wisdom of a rabbi in this matter. But the difference between this rabbi and all the other rabbis, was Rabbi Jesus not only hears the words, but he sees the heart. And he discerned that the heart of these men was not for truth, justice, and fairness. It was more of covetousness. It was more about getting all you can, canning all you get, and sitting on the can. And Jesus warned them covetousness can come to any one of us if we're not careful when getting ahead is more important than just getting along it can be dangerous because the price of admission you remember what i said about sin the price of admission for covetousness may be a lot higher and a lot longer than you thought you would have to pay Let's consider the wisdom of the psalmist. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Lord, remember me. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. But give me only my daily bread. Now, I'm going to tell you what, that's a steep prayer right there, ladies and gentlemen. Lord, don't let me me be too wealthy, and Lord, don't let me be too poor. But give me only my daily bread, otherwise I may have too much, and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Wealth isn't the root of all evil, it's the love of it. Have you ever seen maybe a lottery winner, and you go, man, I wish that was me? Do you? Because if you follow the history of lottery winners, it's not so bueno. It typically ruins more lives than it transforms. A little too much is like leaven. It's like yeast. How many families have been destroyed at inheritance time? And then he says... Or may I become poor and steal and dishonor the name of the Lord. Lord, just give me enough. Lord, give me enough to meet my needs. Give me enough that I might be generous to others. Lord, give me enough that I'll be dependent enough upon you that my eyes and my heart and my hands never turn from you. Wow. That's good stuff right there. Peak number three. Beware of worry, verses 22 through 34. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear, for your life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? That great uh, theologian, I I like to jokingly call her a theologian, Corey Tinboom, says this Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know there's going to be days like that, amen? But Corey Tinboom says this Don't ruin today for what you have not arrived at yet. She goes on and she says this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Amen? That truth right there is truth for me today. You know why? I've got an unknown future, but I've got a known God. Okay. He says it. We say this. So, the Greek sentence is to be torn apart. We get our word anxiousness from it. And from anxiousness, we get the word worry. Worry can tear us from being present for other people. Have you ever been so worried that you were somewhere else? Maybe physically, but more often, it's mentally or emotionally. We can become so worried that we're alone in a room full of people we could be robbed of what we might be giving to other people, but greater than that, we're robbed of what people might be able to give to us. And I know of what I'm talking about. I think on three channels, and how many times, love, do I get lost on a different channel? She'll look over me, and you know how she knows, because I typically look like this. And then she really knows if my hands start moving. I don't know how many times she goes, so what are you teaching right now? Because over on Channel 3, I'm working on Sunday's message. Or over on Channel 1, am reworking today's message. But she knows. And I want you to know that just like you, I have to be mindful of this. Otherwise, I miss my bride's company. I miss being with her. I miss being there for her. Or I miss what she may be able to give unto me. Worry can tear us from a rational view of circumstances when we give in to worry and anxiousness guess what the whole world of opportunities are ours well what if this happens well what if this happens well what if this happens guess what none of it may happen we watched a movie the other night not a great one a popular one and when it ended, we both go, that's it? And, and you know, and you're looking, and if you're given to worry, I'm going to tell you what. If you're, if you're given to worry, let's just say this, apocalypse. Okay, just, and they didn't tell you how to survive it. They just showed you, hey, this is what it looks like. And you're like, But if we give ourselves over to anxiousness and worry, a rational view of circumstances can be lost. Listen, are there certain things that we need to be concerned about? Absolutely. The Bible says to count the cost, to measure the cut before. I mean, yeah, but when we give over to anxiousness or worry, we become irrational, trying to control that which we cannot control or losing control that which we might have control over. A clear, rational view of the circumstances. Sometimes the view is, but we can be rational about it. And that that ties back into my first point is this, is one of the ways we can keep a rational view of circumstances is when we're present and listening to other people. Third, it can rob us of physical and mental well being. It is a proven fact that worriers die younger than those that can manage that thing. Worry and anxiety will drive you to an early grave and it'll drive you to a lot of things. And so Jesus says, don't give yourself over to those things. Number four, he says, beware of carelessness. Beware of carelessness. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So, the parable Jesus gives here is about a Jewish wedding. So the way a Jewish wedding would happen is there would be a, a party, <clears throat> and then sometime in the evening time, the groom would go, and, and he would collect his new bride, and then there would be a party. And then at some time, he would come home with his new bride. And what is being spoken about here is that the servants of the house being ready to receive the bride and groom. Now, what time is he coming home? Well, they don't know. He didn't text them, hey, we're on our way. They didn't have live 360 where they could see, where they got a message, oh, he's home. And what Jesus is saying is, is that for the servants to be ready, to be attentive, to be prepared, to be watching, to be clothed in righteousness, Christ speaks to servants being an anticipatory arrival time. Ephesians 2 tells us this, excuse me, 4 says this, (coughs) and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. As believers, what Jesus is pointing to is the coming of the Lord. And as believers, if we're going to be ready, we are made righteous by our faith in Christ, but we are also being transformed into righteousness, becoming more and more like Christ. And if we're going to be ready, we must be properly clothed. If you know someone is coming to your house for lunch, you are not in your sleeping clothes when they arrive. Or are you? Hey, man, you just take me as you get me. I've got one sister, that's the way she rolls. You take me as you get me. And I'm good with that to a certain degree. But he says, be clothed properly. It goes on and it says, having the lamp filled and lit. The lamp was an important part. You know why? Because electricity was always out in the time of Jesus. You know what I got? <laughs> but the lamp was to be filled and ready for use and lit. Why? Because that was, the, that was how you navigated the house. That's how you went about making preparation. Who likes to walk into a dark house? No one likes to walk into a dark house. I don't care who you are. I don't care how screwed you are that you won't leave a nightlight on or something. No one goes, man, I like walking into the dark because I like not knowing <clears throat> what could be up there. And this one... I love putting four toes to the right side of the corner and the fifth toe to the left. We all go, darkness, my old friend. Jesus says, be clothed. That means be dressed, ready to receive. Have your lamp filled and lit. It's one thing to have the lamp full, but if it's not lit, guess what? Permanent potential. Right? Right? what good is that it's like having fine china and never using it anybody yeah you have a fine china that you never use it was your mom's did your mom use it okay i'm not saying it's right or wrong i'm just saying i don't get it i mean i you know Years ago, I was in the Dominican Republic with a mission team, and we had an evening off from ministry, and we decided we were going to go see what it was like to see a movie in a different country. And so we go to the movie theater, and we're all in the movie theater watching a film, and guess what? (laughs) Just like in Jesus' time, the electricity failed. Now, in America, you know what happens when the electricity fails? We have emergency lights like those lights and those lights. And we know those lights work because someone that works for a certain company in town comes by once a year and checks them all. Called emergency lights. Well, in the Dominican Republic, guess what? Nope. Nada. Zip. We went from movie to, you remember we are talking about dark? Yeah. <clears throat> now, because I am an Eagle Scout. And because, because I, I was prepared, <laughs> Kat, were you on that trip? Reached down in the bag, I got a witness. See, I'm not telling you, st- I pulled out of my bag a flashlight Now you know what you know what's interesting about a lamp or a flashlight in a dark room? when you turn it on or you light it, everyone in the room is blessed by it. Amen? The whole room lit up. That little mag light, Ba bam. <laughs> and I had the privilege of leading that enti- my entire theater out. You're welcome. Jesus says, be dressed for work, have the tools of work ready, and guess what? The Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's Word and God's Holy Spirit actively involved in our lives is beneficial for us, but just like that flashlight in that room, it is beneficial to other people as well. When you're living prepared, it's better for other people. Jesus says, live prepared. Don't be careless. Listen, if you don't prepare, (laughs) it's going to happen. I remember someone in this room whose father told him, always check your oil. We have a race car driver. Checking your oil is important, isn't it? You check your oil? Pretty regular? Yeah, or, or some of your people. You get people to do that. I'm the talent. Check the oil. Well, but the problem was the dipstick was missing. They make more than one, Ronnie. (laughs) Check the oil. It's important. Buy a dipstick. Put it in there. Be prepared. Do the right thing. But this one individual, I'm just going to let you look around the room and figure out if you can figure out who it was. This one individual heard the wisdom, but did not respond to the wisdom, did not purchase another dipstick because they were a dipstick. (laughs) Uh, I couldn't leave that one on the ground. But you know what happened? They weren't prepared. (laughs) They didn't deal with it, but then it dealt with them when the engine seized up. And was ruined. Be prepared. Number five. Beware of dullness. Someone may be thinking we've been suffering that for a moment. Verse 54. Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see the clouds rising in the west, you say at once. A rainstorm is coming and it does. It's kind of like you in Texas. Look at that. When you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat, and there is. If you can imagine Jesus pointing to the west, you know what's west of Jesus? The Mediterranean Sea. You know what comes off the sea? Storms. You can see them coming. Just like us, if you look out that way or over that way, the west and the north, you see them coming. You go get your lawn chairs and your kitty cats and your puppy dogs. You get all that stuff in. Why? Because you go, There's a storm coming. And you do something about it, and then maybe he says, he points to the south. He says, when the wind is blowing out of the south, you know south of Jesus? Desert, Egypt, Sinai Peninsula, dry, hot stuff. He says, when the wind blows out of the south, there's going to be scorching heat, and there is. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but how can you not know how to interpret the present time? And why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on your way so that you will not be... you he will not drag you before the judge and the judge hands you over to the officer and the officer to throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. Dullnessness is this, a lack of interest or excitement. Another word is ambiguousness. That's a great big word, but I can sum it up for you. Eh, It's like last night, my bride goes, what do you want for dinner? I go, eh. I was ambiguous. It's like some of you, unsaved people, in that football game next week. You go, eh. You're ambiguous. It's important. But Jesus says, be careful of dullness. Be careful that your interest doesn't wane and your excitement doesn't diminish. Don't become ambiguous. Do you know what's ambiguous? A dead fish. It goes wherever the tide carries it. Spiritual ambiguousness blunts our faith. Do you know that heaven's coming? The funeral home says it is. The Bible says it is. Josh, great study this morning. Your heart says it is. But if we're not careful, we go, uh. Eh. How many folks do we have here that's 25 and younger? Raise him hands. I see y'all. Man, y'all think life's forever. It's not. <laughs> I'm going to live forever. No, you're not. And you're looking at me and you go, oh, old man, that's what old people say. You're right. (laughs) And they were saying it when I was your age, and guess what? They were right. We cannot become ambiguous about the things of faith. Ladies and gentlemen, heaven is coming, Jesus is coming whether we go to him one at a time through the doorway of death or he comes for us all at once, Jesus is coming because the Bible says so and because our world requires it. Ladies and gentlemen, do you not look around and go, man, something's got to give. There's a payday someday. If the Bible is true and heaven is real, God is going to hold into account This world, when I watch the news and I see and I think, Lord, how long? How long? And Josh mentioned it in the Sunday school hour. If you haven't plugged into Sunday school, you should. He mentioned that in the early church, the apostles and the authors of the Bible and the gospels, they thought Jesus was like, quick trip, he was going to be right back. And then they go, oh, man, we need to start writing this stuff down. Ladies and gentlemen, do not grow dull in the fact that Jesus has been anticipated now for 2,000 years. Listen, he's coming. And let me give you a little point. He's coming in your lifetime. Say mine. Mine. He's coming in my lifetime. How do I know? Because not a single one of us has gotten out of life without death yet. I will see Jesus in my lifetime. And that should prevent me from growing dull in my faith. And the news should prevent you. Why? Because one day heaven, amen. Woo! It blunts our faith. Secondly, it blunts our faithfulness. When spiritual dullness takes place, it blunts our passion for the things of God and the purposes of God. We should be more motivated by the day. Why? Because we're one day closer to heaven. We should be motivated by the day. Why? Because this world is one day closer to what? Judgment. We should be motivated. Why? Because we're one day closer to what? Judgment. We will give an account, brothers and sisters. Not as the lost do, but we will give an account. Jimmy, what did you do with the life, with the training, with the experience, with the gifts? What did you do with what I entrusted you? Ladies and gentlemen, that question lays on my heart every day. Because I only have one life to give to my Savior. And there's more of it behind me than lies before me. If we allow ourselves to drift into the dullnessness of life, it blunts our faith, it blunts our faithfulness, and lastly, it blunts our forethought of the judgment that lies ahead of us. Ladies and gentlemen, I am as sure for heaven as if I'm standing there. The only way I miss heaven is that heaven isn't real. But right outside that window, and right outside that window, and right outside that window is a world full of people that are going to miss it if Jesus comes today. And if you read your Bible, I don't remember who to give credit to, but they say this. That for believers, this is the only hell we'll experience. But for the unbelievers, ladies and gentlemen, if we drift into dulness, we forget about what lies ahead. Heaven is real, amen? It is real, and it is coming, and it is promised to us, thank God. But you know what? If heaven is real, so is that place called hell. And the assurance that heaven affords us, I want to be highly motivated to simply trying to live for Jesus the best I can and to share the hope that lies within me as best I can in word and in action as best I can, as often as I can, for whomever I can, for as long as I can, because one day, heaven. And Jesus warns his people about dullnessness. It's easy. Man, routine. Have you ever been on your way someplace that you've been a thousand times and missed your exit? To wherever else you were going? Listen, you put me in my car and you go campus. Burr. There's two ways here. I alter my route so that the terrorists and the kidnappers don't. <laughs> right? 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 And ladies, in true man form, I I think to myself, how many stops do I have to make? But I'm telling you this, you say to me, campus, and I get into my car, but in truth, I'm going to my son's apartment. I will drive smooth past that apartment. It's on the way. Why? Because my mind's already down the road. Brothers and sisters, we cannot become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. There's souls to be saved, there's hearts to be encouraged, there's ministry to be served. And Jesus warns us to be prepared. And the only way we can prepare is to recognize the challenges. And prepare to those. In closing. Be prepared. To enjoy your journey. And help others. So the scout motto is to be prepared. But there's also another part. It says do a good turn daily. As a scout and as an Eagle Scout, it should be my intention, my desire to do at least one good turn daily. Now, what that looks like, well, life kind of dictates that. But I want you to know that just like being prepared is important to me, so is doing a good turn daily. Now, when you're a scout, I unfortunately, I don't know if I lost it. It's, it's at least packed away at best, but it had a scout coin. And what you do is you carry it in one pocket, and when you do your good turn, you move it to the other pocket. A physical reminder, right? Well, I'm not sure where my coin is, but I do have a physical reminder to do a good turn daily. When I do my good turn I pull my wedding band off and I flip it over and I put it back on. Because I want to do a good turn daily to my world. I want a good good turn daily to my bride. And I want to do a good turn daily to my Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And Father, we pray that on this journey you'll help us To be prepared. Lord, we realize we cannot control nor know every single thing on the pathway of our journey. But Lord, along the trail, we have opportunities to live, to love, to learn. Father, help us to be prepared that we might glorify you, that we might enjoy our journey. And, Father, that we might help others find their pathway home as well. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus who makes all things possible. We thank you so much for the cross that paid a sin debt that we could not pay ourselves. We thank you for an empty tomb that validates everything Jesus said. And we thank you for a returning Savior, that where he is, we too shall dwell. Father, may we be found faithful when we come to you, and may we be found faithful for when you come for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen.